All right, so yeah, let's uh, uh, jump into uh, the difficult podcast, which is, I think, yeah, this is kind of the first one. We we kept doing these, and they kept screwing up, uh, so we've got, like, a trail of bodies behind us of trying to get shows done. Right. I think we've actually done the first show introduction talking about our past failures three or four times. We have, and in in the process of talking about past failures, those being those discussions about failures became failures themselves. So what we actually had was we had it was like yeast, because yeah. uh, the failures continue to grow with each discussion about failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like peaks and valleys, but all in a very big valley. Right. So, right. but I think now we're ready to talk about something other than failure. Although, right. I don't know. I don't know what you're bringing to the table today. Right. Uh, the conceit for this show, for everyone who hasn't heard this, because this is, you know, like the first one, uh, each week we're going to share something we learned that's of some kind of interest, at least to us. Right. Um, what do you have? Well, what I have is uh, something that had been in my Netflix list actually for a while, because I thought this can't be that interesting, but it's got like just about five stars. It's just a shade under five stars. And it was a film, it was a documentary film about 3D printers called Print the Legend. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, I can't, you know, what, what is there to do with 3D printers if that's, it, that's that interesting? And of course, I was wrong. I was totally wrong because they had, the film the documentary followed initially what you thought it was going to be about were these uh, couple of upstart companies that were trying to produce these basically, you know, basically desktop uh, models of 3D printers. And they were up against um, industrial uh, 3D printer companies, which were trying to transition into having a consumer market. And so it was like, you know, the the old story of the big established firms versus the upstarts and so forth. And, you know, this whole thing. And there was one company that uh, was one of the upstart companies had a guy who it started with three guys. There were three friends that were in this company, and each of them had sort of a role that they played. You know, they, each of them was good at one thing or another. And one of the three was chosen to be the CEO, and he was um, basically he was pretty, um, you know, charismatic compared to the other two, anyway. And as a result, how he appointed himself to be the CEO. Well, he didn't. He didn't like appoint. You, you two nerds can't obviously talk to girls, so I'm going to have to do it for you. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he was a nerd in his own right, and he um, he didn't so much appoint himself as much as he did just kind of they, ha- they, they agreed on him. And the other yeah. two didn't really want to do it. But anyway, so by the end of the film, this guy is the only one of the three left in the company. The other two had departed uh, because it had become something that they didn't want it to be and so on and so forth. And that, you know, that was interesting and so on and so forth. And, and, and it was something that you could kind of see coming, you know. Um, but at the same time, it was what really got me into this was the left turn that this or right turn, as the case may be, that the whole film took when they got to a point where there's a guy in Texas who was using the 3D printers to make guns and they were I've automatic weapons. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so there was real concern by the company that had the printer uh, 
that was making the printer, you know, for obvious reasons. And they were trying to figure out how, how to deal with this. And eventually the government got involved and they had, they had some basic um, interpretation of a law that said that he couldn't, you know, he couldn't use the, the, um, the printer to, well, I, I guess he was able to use it to do it for, for himself with some limitations, but he couldn't share, they shut down a website or something in which he was sharing the information, the data for, you know, the files that would, uh, that would end up printing the gun and the various parts and the, and the magazines and so forth, because they violated what, what was the existing law about, uh, assault weapons. So, um, that was, that was what the gist of the whole thing was. And the result being that the, uh, you know, the film comes around to some basic questions about not only the personalities that end up running companies, but also as technology becomes more comprehensive in the things that it can do, what are the potential imaginings that could be, I guess, harmful, you know, harmful is, is one potential way to put it. Cause if you have somebody who's decided that they're going to print this gun with bad intentions, right. you know, it's, um, and, and it, it goes into the old, you know, major, uh, argument about gun control versus gun rights, which is never going right. to end. It's just, that's just never ending. I mean, so. if there was he printing guns that were actually illegal to have, well, it was more the magazines, that uh, oh, okay. were were the problem because uh, and he was able to customize it. Basically, he had the he had the, the the weapon already. It was the magazine that he was printing that enabled a greater collection of um, of um, ammunition in in one you know without having to swap out magazines. Right. So that was. Yeah, I can see that then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, you get mad at the law, not the, you know, <laughs> the the loophole you find you found to get around it. Well, and his point of view from the very beginning was that the law was unconstitutional. That was essentially his right. law. In fact, in fact, he was a law student, and to listen to the guy, you know, he he was a he was a pretty young guy, and he thought he knew more about everything it seemed than anybody else did if you listen if you watch the film and you listen to him speak you kind of think you know what um you know get, get some miles on you and then and then yeah. decide you know uh you know rethink some of these things that you're saying so that was my take on him one person's take right but um but print the legend i i think it was you know it was a film that was worth watching it made me feel a little bit dirty about <laughs> You know, about the personalities that seem to uh, prevail in what is increasingly an entrepreneurial world, you know, people don't work for companies for you know their entire lives anymore. Um, some people work for companies, move from one company to another, and and I think you know more and more jobs are having to do with being in the service industry. But a lot of people are are at least in their jobs to some extent they're entrepreneurial. You know, when you think about people that are doing Airbnb or doing, um, you know, Uber or whatever, there's a, there's still, there's an entrepreneurial strain to that because they're not mm -hmm. they're not having to report to an office and be at a desk and so on and so forth at yeah. certain times and so forth. So as I'm watching this, I'm I'm thinking, you know, it's 
it seems to me, and it's always been this way, but it's it's even more pronounced the idea that the people who are willing to push harder and be more uh, have have a greater ego, and I mean ego in in the most sort of odious in sense. Ambition. Well, it's it it is ambition, but it's ambition built around this this sense of yourself that is, like I say, kind of odious. Um, that right. just just for me personally, that's just my sensibility. I like people to. What I like from people is I like a I like a give and take. I, anybody with whom I have a conversation, I like to be able to hear some things about them, learn some things about them, and I like to be able to talk a little bit too about the things that you know I think or things that are happening with me. If it's a friend that I know well and I'm just sharing what's going on, there's an, it's an exchange. And um, this guy in Print a Legend struck me as someone that wouldn't be very interested at all in what anyone else had to say about themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just the more you have that in people, uh, the, the the less interesting the world is, and the less desirable, um, you, you know, you find most people to interact with. Mm-hmm. So that was that was my takeaway from the week. Yeah. It was, print the legend right so okay i had a story that uh i'd heard a long time ago i actually heard it when we were uh in grad school in the 90s um that would be at boston so, university in case anybody's curious oh uh, i'm not giving them any free plugs fuck them uh no, I just did. <laughs> they didn't help yeah yeah but i st- i can i i could edit it out if if i you know wasn't so lazy but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, no. So we, we, I heard this story years ago, and so I decided, okay, I'm gonna actually research this and find out what the deal was. Um, yeah, and it's pretty funny, I think. So there were these uh, two college kids, uh, Zach and Adam, right? Mm-hmm. And they got this this uh, uh, this great idea. Uh, you know what we ought to do is we ought to write a movie because people spend so much money. They, they, they pay so much money for these screenplay things. So mm. we'll just write ourselves a hit movie and make you know a, a boatload of money. Right. And Well, what kind of movies make a boatload of money? Well, action movies make a boatload of money. Okay, we're going to write an action movie. So they, they write this action movie. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is like the big name in action movies. We need to make sure we get Arnold Schwarzenegger. So they they name their their main character, I think Arno Slade or something like that. But they you know they write it very. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? And they write this uh, script like so many college kids do, thinking you're gonna make a million bucks. Except that they knew a guy who knew a guy. That whole deal. That's uh, always they get the clincher. Their, yeah, they got a friend who reads it and says, you know, I know a guy. Well, the guy is, I'm trying to think, I think hes uh, he was either an agent or he was working in development at Universal. Uh, yeah, I think he was doing development. And he, he had a bunch of scripts he was always having to read. And so this thing should have just gone to the bottom of the pile because those people have 100 scripts a week to read. Yeah. But he got stood up for a date and had like an hour to kill. <laughs> and it happened to be the one on his coffee table. 
And so he reads it, and he's like, I love this. It's, you know, it was kind of meta before there was meta. It was, you know, an action movie about a high school kid who gets sucked into the movie and basically calls out all of the action cliches before they happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's like, yeah, this is this is great. I, I can work with this. Uh, but there's no way we're going to get this made, especially with Arnold Schwarzenegger, if it's written by two nobodies from college. So he options it, but uh, says, well, who, who's the big name in action movies these days, writing-wise? Shane Black. He... Um, he wrote the Lethal Weapon movies and uh, mm-hmm. Last Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. They get it to Shane Black uh, to rewrite, and it becomes the last action hero. Um, Shane Black goes in and you know does the Shane Black thing to it, and um, William Goldman ends up you know sticking some some uh, uh, thumbs in the pie, and it's one of those things where there's I think two credited screenwriters but there's just an army of other screenwriters right and it's like god damn it i i I hate i hate the story of the two nobodies who come in and then just get something sold like that and of course then they have real animosity towards what happened with it because all of their stuff got written out and they would tell you you know they yeah well uh (laughs) especially when you consider well Oh yeah, putting right. your time, then, putting your time, and then yeah. you can bitch and moan. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger, they they want to cast him, and he says, "My character, I'm not doing an Arnold impression, but uh, no, I will. My character's two dimensional, and they, you know, he wanted to have some more depth, and uh, right. and they were like, yeah, that's kind of the point of you in it is that you're a two dimensional, you know, idiot. That's the point you know and they, he, they he didn't to understand the concept and, of parody huh i guess not mm-hmm. uh yeah he didn't i don't think he quite saw the joke and wow. you know they but but it you know becomes this juggernaut of cash um <laughs> and it gets made into just a, a, an awful bomb and and they get blamed for it of course but what i love about it is they came up with the dopey movie they wrote it the the money element of hollywood you know does its little dance on it right and when it fails because it's so formulaic and stupid somehow it comes back to being their fault instead of all these different elements that weighed in to change it well the other uh, people have insulation Oh yeah, well they can always claim, you know. Well, this came downriver, you know, uh, uh, right. wherever it started. That's that's whose fault it is. Right. Well, um, and the guy, one of the guys, uh, I believe, uh, I'm trying to think, he he's written a couple of things since then. Um, I think other comic book movies. The other guy just sort of disappeared. But you know, I'll give him this. He's he got work out of it. So. Well. You know what's interesting about that is years ago I heard a not entirely dissimilar but um, but different take on that same uh, film. And what it was was that two college guys mm-hmm. decided that they were going to write a screenplay to make a lot of money. 
so far we're together and they decided it was to be an action film and it should be a Schwarzenegger film and they wrote it and they somehow sent it around and it was in slush piles all over LA mm-hmm. and what oh they, yeah I heard this part of the thing too and they would like make fake calls to producers saying uh, yeah. have you optioned Last Action Hero yet? They would have yeah. friends pose as like reporters for the Hollywood Reporter and Variety and LA Times and whatever else mm-hmm. Can, can you confirm that you have optioned or do you know who is op- – can you tell us who has optioned Last Action Hero and so on and so forth? So they created this, right. you know, which anybody, any studio, any development uh, executive, um, anybody, any agent should, you know, see that for what it is pretty quickly. If you, if you don't pick up on that um, because the people that are, are working particularly for The Hollywood Reporter and um, Variety, you're going to know all the people that work for – for those publications, you know, so if someone calls, um, you know, that's, you should probably be able to pick that out. So I don't know if there's any truth to that story or not, but that, yeah. that story is one that I heard back. Uh, it was after the film had come out or when it was coming out. I don't know. And I, I can't even recall where I heard it. Right. Um, but I did hear that story and you know, it's just that the idea that they were gaming the system because nobody was at the controls actually makes me like them a little more. I mean, that's that's at least a bit more, um, well, ambitious coming back to that than just writing a thing and giving it to a buddy and, you know, like God smiles on you. That's 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 more like uh, a grift. You know, I, I like the idea that they saw that they could get away with that. And it, I don't again, don't know if it's true. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I you know I at the time I was I was more sour about it than I guess I would be now, and I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't deeply sour about it. It was one of those mm-hmm. things that I, I I think at the time what I thought to myself was, so the money that was spent making this at that time could have been spent on something else. Now, yeah. if it hadn't been spent on that, it likely would have been spent on some other action film. Yeah. But you know I was thinking could it, you know it it's like. You know, some people used to point out when it came to independent film and the, the lower budgets of independent film. And if you took one, you know, big mega blockbuster action film that's costing right. 140 million at that time to make, you could make 10, 14 million dollar films and you could do a lot yeah. with 14 million dollars at that time. And so there would be more films that would be out there, more stuff to choose from, and it would just be more interesting overall. And that was part of the impetus behind the the uh, power that independent films um, yeah. gained. And once they started getting nominated for Academy Awards and more of the A-list actors wanted to be uh, in them and more with, with more A-list actors, they managed to break out of the art houses and into some more of the, you know, multi-screen theaters and so forth. It shifted things, but in the grant, you know, then it was ultimately going to go back to, you know, what now is mainly like comic book movies and big budget animation things. Um, those have kind of taken control again. And yeah. um, but but the funny thing I think now is that the even even if even though that's true, the lesson kind of sticks because. Like last year, uh, Batman v Superman. Uh, I, ref- I and again, I don't know anybody who says Batman versus Superman. It's Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. Batman five Superman. 
is uh, uh, comes out, yeah. and it costs two hundred and fifty million to make that you know stinking pile of shit. Yeah, and, and it got back uh, eight hundred and seventy three million. I'm using Wikipedia for my brain right now, mm-hmm. but. You know, it's like 873 million. Okay, yeah, that's you. You made back cost. That's worldwide. That's fine. Uh, yeah. But see now, yeah, I, I don't know what you know. It, it used to be that that uh, it, it was two and a half times negative cost is what you had mm-hmm. to recoup. Um, yeah, because of marketing to, budget. Yeah. 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 And, but, uh, and 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 at the same time though, but like at the same that you know at the same time last year. Uh, Another comic book movie comes out, uh, Deadpool, starring yeah. a guy who'd been in another two two different failed comic book movies already. One of them playing Deadpool, uh, it, it, it otherwise didn't have any names, and mm-hmm. it cost fifty eight million dollars, which for any kind of spectacle movie these days is wicked sure. cheap. Oh yeah, and it made almost—I I think it made more than Batman v Superman. It, it made seven hundred eighty-three million, and again, no, not a known uh, 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 superhero movie. Okay, so it made about a hundred million less. But you look at the return on investment on something that doesn't have any big stars, yeah. isn't a known comic book character, doesn't cost much, and it still rakes in the money. I think the lesson for them still is it's not it's not how much cash you can dump on it. It's actually having good ideas. Well, and I that's think if you true, probably but... put it to them that way, their response would be, well, where the hell are we going to get those? Well, I think they would never admit that they don't know how to necessarily consistently come up with good ideas. And I think also the truth of the matter is that even even though most people looking at what uh, Batman versus Superman uh, was in terms of casting and story and all of it, a lot of people would have said, you know, it's really not, that's not looking too good. You should pass on that. Um, Mm. Even making better informed decisions and um, really thinking about the quality of the content, um, there's, there are still going to be misses. There are still going to be, you know, swing and a miss on, on a film that, um, is, you know, maybe interesting to some people, but, um, I, I mean, I, I think no, of, no, no, it's not. See, that's, I guess that's, I, I would, I would say actually as somebody who was a comic book fan years ago and still likes some of these comic book movies, if they're good, yeah. the big problem with, all of the DC movies I've seen so far is, and they all have the same problem. That's what, that's what really makes me crazy is that they have the same problem with each film. Nobody notices or cares because they still make a return on it is that none of the characters arc at all. It's like we, we know since we've heard of this Superman and person and this Batman and all that, we don't have to do anything with them. We don't yeah. have to change them. We don't have to give them stakes. They just show up. They they you know jut their chin out and they blow some shit up. Well, and then you walk out of it going, why was that so just lugubrious and dull? Oh yeah, that's right because 
nothing ever threatened anybody in a meaningful way. There was no, there was just all spectacle <laughs> and a single act. Well, doesn't and, that have to do... And then you'd think that somebody who does this for a living, like, you know, people making films, just one person would step up and say, okay, I get it, it's a package deal. We have actors, we have a property, we we have the cash. Why don't we actually spend a little time structuring a, a coherent story and some characters that exist? Right, but doesn't that have to do, to some extent, with the raw material? Because my understanding, and I'm far from any kind of uh, an expert on the comic book characters. But my understanding has always been that the Marvel characters were by their by very, their very nature more complex and had greater potential for arcs in, in any kind of a narrative form than the DC characters. The DC characters really didn't, you, you would have to alter them from their um, original basic existence in order to yeah. derive an arc from them. And I think I, even the characters that came along later, um, you know, I I saw, much to my chagrin, Suicide Squad, which I decided was actually called that because you walk out contemplating it. Um, <laughs> and it's a horrible film, I think. Yeah. In, in, I, I can't think of a single virtuous uh, thing about it because it, it, it's written badly. Margot it's Robbie's act- a piece of ass. Well, that may very well be, but it's Margot it, Robbie's a piece of ass. Yeah, I, I understand that. Um, yeah, it should have been called that. Margot Robbie's a piece of ass. Well, <laughs> but, but it also that you know the thing is that movie has the exact same problem, you know, in that nobody changes, nobody learns, nobody grows, and nobody has any reason to continue. They just show up, they say cool lines, they go do cool stuff, they right, you know. They, I mean, insert cool adjective here for, you know, cool but, adjective. And... But even something as, as basic as exposition, so that if they had created characters who had purpose and had um, uh, had intent in, in a scene or in the entire film um, that, that, was, that really resonated, even if they had those things uh, instead of a shell of those things, the exposition, as an example, to me is so flawed. Oh my god! Yeah, they flawed. they explain who everybody is twice. Twice. They, they and... explain who everybody is twice, and by the time you're done with that second one, you're I think more than forty minutes into that son of a bitch. Well, and you haven't even started the main story. And I think the reason that they, they that they do it twice is because I think that Will Smith and Margot Robbie they they get the being showed right up front. Then you go away to where they're talking about solving a problem that doesn't exist yet, and the solution becomes the problem, ultimately. And then you go back to explain who everybody is again, and that gets drawn out for the longest time. And you still don't care. I mean, by the time you know who these people are, you still don't give a shit. Right. It's basic – it's screenwriting 101 is what it is, and it's something that um, it astounds me. That there isn't someone at some level involved in the production who has well, enough sense about story to at least point that out. Well, that's the problem, though, with you know that I'm really getting at with all of these films being, uh, um, I guess, investments. 
is that they have the package deal and they have the property and they think that's enough to get us across the finish line. When they, I guess, hired David Ayer to make Suicide Squad, they gave him six weeks to come up with a, a, you know, a script. Well, that's fucked up. That's like saying, okay, we've got you know, uh, $200 million for you to b- build a skyscraper. Have it here next week. I think that you they, know. what they assume, and to a large degree they're correct, when you think about uh, not only the various ways of making revenue from the film itself, which it would include um, things, which would include theatrical distribution as well as, uh, you know, DVD and more commonly uh, streaming video, buying it through Amazon or renting it through Amazon or, you know, ultimately maybe having it on on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever the case may be, but all of the other ancillary elements, the way that they can spin that off into additional graphic novels or um, merchandising and so forth, they know that what they're going to do will ultimately result in a profit and a profit in the sense that I think that the studios will be able to demonstrate it as, as a minor profit, whereas they have a lot of revenue coming in, but they can, they can, you know, in, in a tax situation, it's not going to put them in a, in a terrible situation where it's going to be this cash cow that they have to really, you know, um, be, have a huge tax liability. I, I don't know the specifics of how all that works. Plus all of the people who are involved, they're all members of this club, so to speak, um, who are very well paid, overpaid for what they do. And as a result, they, you know, they, they're making huge salaries. See, the problem, I think, with all that, with, you know, that uh, reasoning, though, is that the Deadpool example shows that a little bit goes a long way, that you can actually invest in, well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to keep saying the story, but basically the stuff that made that film fun wasn't the spectacle. And they well, got back like six or seven times uh, their investment. It's like it, at some point these people are going to go. You know what? If we just do the 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 cheap work of making it, you know, interesting, it will do well more. You know, I I, I, I think I think you're you know you're right. The Marvel movies have the um, uh, the advantage of being more about character, but. I, I think the Christopher Nolan Batmans were a great example of what they could have done. Yeah, you know they could have they could have played to the strengths of the material. And but I think Christopher like... Christopher Nolan cares more about filmmaking than some other people. So within within this whole industry, you have some people who care more about what they're doing. Um, than others, or at least they understand it better. So you have a mixture of people. It's not all one thing. I guess when I say the people who do this, what I'm talking about is the people who have some involvement or some attachment to the projects that are made with a huge budget, knowing full well that um, they're going to be able to squeeze out something close to breaking even, if not you know, a profit. Um, simply by virtue of following a, a formula that's been in place um, really since Star Wars because you have all of the different forms of all the different revenue streams that you can tap um, yeah. and and it's down to a science now and they really have it figured out whether it is um, 
something that you wear or something that you play with or those little yeah. those little plastic pop things that people put on their but desks. But I, I guarantee you, though, I really believe that in the next year or two, they're going to spend more time trying to make it good instead of just make it profitable because they can see that the make it good angle is more profitable because you can still sell the same amount of toys and lunch boxes for a movie that's funny or, you know, right. actually liked. Right, but I, I also would suggest that for that particular genre, it's going to ultimately suffer the fate of Irwin Allen, which is to say that in the 1970s, they were making one after another of the disaster films. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't, yeah. you know, um, go six months without a new disaster film coming out. But people oh, grew yeah, tired I get of that. You. People I mean, that's 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 every decade. I think you know, there's yeah. the the thing that comes on and changes everything until something else does. You know, yeah. it's it's but it's the same thing with uh, Pulp Fiction, which you know we despise. Thankfully, I, I, I'm <laughs> glad I know someone else who hates that fucking movie. But um, I, I it, it three quarters came, of the people that, just turned this off. Right, but this movie shows up that that didn't cost much and made a huge amount of money and made everyone in that town go, oh, is is that what I need to be? Doing? Okay, then, and then it shifted the um, the calculus a bit. I mean, yeah, these superhero movies aren't going to be around any longer than those faux grunge indie movies of the '90s did. Right, but I I think that the lesson just keeps being relearned. You need to actually make something good. I, in the Marvel universe, there are only a couple that are actually good. But when they're good, they're really good. Everything else is just sort of formula dreck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's well, about a half hour we recorded. I think we have, and I think um, we have uh, hit those. We kind of abandoned our our uh, thesis, didn't we? <laughs> Here's something I learned this week and eh, movies. We got to well, just make this podcast about movies. You know, the thing is that you could you could say that we abandoned it or you could say that we evolved. Um, mm. it's it, it it's really it depends on whether you want to, you know, it's it's glass half empty half full. Really. Right. And I know that you well, like I know you like an empty glass. Uh I I know that you like an empty glass that you can throw against the wall. So, let's end with Eric taking the empty glass that is the um, abandonment and is the crush against the wall of the glass, shattering to put a punctuation on the end of this fabulous, difficult podcast. That's not water. <laughs> I went pee-pee in it. <laughs> well, then, I'm glad that I'm standing on the other side of the room. There you go. All right. Well, uh, an, another successful podcast. So we Again? think that's what that's what we believe. But yeah, you know. Okay. I still well, believe in Santa Claus. Uh, well, where there's life, there's hope. Said Anna Karenina as she stepped on the tracks. <laughs> that's exactly right. All right. Until All next right. time. Until next time. Bye, bye, buoy.